Prospects to Pros is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts. And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The app is super simple to use. Just find the game you want and buy in two taps. Plus, GameTime has concert, NBA, NHL tickets, and more. So with GameTime, you'll never miss out. So download the GameTime app in the Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined here in a second by Dame Brugler. Got our producer, Kent Garrison, helping us out. Uh, Just quick mention, as always, at the start of these shows, if you haven't picked up a subscription uh, to The Athletic yet, you can go to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros and do it for 40% off. That also gets you access to our second podcast of the week. We usually look forward to... uh, What's coming up uh, in the weekend's games? Maybe we'll turn a little bit closer eye to the NFL moving forward. Uh, we haven't really gotten to the plans for January on through April. Lots and lots of draft stuff um, coming uh, a couple times a week. And this one, obviously, everyone can listen to is is free on all your uh, podcast devices. But that Thursday show, you got to make sure you pick up the subscription to get access to it. And we'll cover a lot of ground here over the next uh, four, four and a half months. And uh regular season over in college football just the army navy game left and uh you ever been to that one dane no but that's definitely on the bucket list um have you yeah me too yeah <laughs> no I'm, that's uh that's one i am dying to get to it at some point yeah that that seems like just such a special thing to i mean it's special watching it on tv you know i can imagine just being in attendance for that and so We've been uh, we've gotten some good matchups in that game the last few years, so hopefully we have we've got another one this Saturday. But like you said, it's uh, end of the regular season. That's kind of crazy. The season flew by, um, but you know before we look too far in the future, I guess maybe look back at championship weekend, and I think teams made it pretty easy for the committee uh, with the playoff. You know, the if if Utah had won the Pac-12 championship, if Georgia had upset LSU. Um, you know, if Wisconsin was able to, uh, you know, they had the lead for three quarters if they were able to hold on. But, you know, I think for the most part, everything played out um, pretty clean and made it fairly easy for the committee. So, you know, it's I think the biggest thing was who was going to be one. And I don't know, after LSU, uh, yeah, they just looked like, like a machine against Georgia. And meanwhile, Ohio State uh, had a had a tough start, and then they battled back. And you know, they're just the you know more talented team won, but you know, it wasn't the the prettiest game for them. So hard to hard to disagree with how that how they play it out. Do you think they got it right with the one through four? Uh, I mean, I, I'm not surprised they went that way. I think Ohio State definitely had a case to be number one for sure, and they were Agreed. number one going Agreed. into the into the weekend. Um, you know, took care of Wisconsin twice. Like you said, this one, they had to come back in the second half. But, you know, they had two wins over a good Wisconsin team, beat Ohio State. Obviously, they rolled Michigan. Um, and their, uh, you know, their non-conference schedule didn't look all that great on paper at the start of the year. And LSU had the win over, you know, Texas, who was ranked pretty highly at that time. But um, the Ohio State non-conference schedule actually turned out to be 
You know, they had yeah. the Florida Atlantic win. Uh, Cincinnati turned out to be a pretty decent team. Uh, Miami, Ohio won the MAC, and you know that's obviously not a you're not you're not hitting top ten teams there, but it, it didn't turn out to be quite the uh, a, the list of cupcakes maybe that it felt like back in September. So um, they all played in their conference championship game. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I you know, even though yeah, like you said, not exactly the big name schools they were at least uh you know the one of the better teams in their conferences yeah for sure so i think ohio state absolutely had a case i i am i mean i was kind of looking forward to the the thought of the ohio state uh ohio state secondary and that defense against oklahoma's defense but you know the lsu oklahoma mm-hmm. matchups intriguing too and ohio state clemson could be a great one i mean i think clemson opened as a favorite in that game and feels it's kind of weird Clemson won their you know won the ACC championship by 45 46 points whatever it was it feels like we're barely even talked about them as a national championship right. contender because they just sort of uh quietly steamrolled through the ACC but that I mean I think we know by this point that's certainly a team that could catch fire for a couple games and and go win the championship yeah I think it worked out exactly the way Dabo Sweeney would have liked because they had that scare against North Carolina earlier in the year. And then that kind of put Clemson on notice that, okay, maybe they're not uh, the top team. Maybe they're not, um, you know, one of the the better teams in the nation. And that gave that team all the motivation that they needed uh, for the coaches and the players. And they've just been uh, outstanding. And, but it's the ACC and it's just, it's tough when you have a conference that, doesn't have a lot of uh, you know pl- teams that you really point to and say okay yeah that's it's one of the uh, top ten teams in the nation top fifteen team teams in the nation uh, and, and so it's I don't know if they've truly been tested up to this point um, you know it, it's it's something that you know it, their toughest opponent this year was what Texas A and M maybe um, uh, you know I just not even someone in the ACC so. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's still things we need to figure out about Clemson as a team, but there's no question. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, the way he's been playing right now, um, he we're, he's playing more like he did towards the end of last year. Uh, the the skill players they have on offense are ridiculous with Travis Etienne, uh, T. Higgins, um, uh, Justin Ross, uh, a few other guys. I mean, it's it's going to be tough for this Ohio State defense to cover everybody and slow that offense down. It's it, it, it almost feels like Clemson's, Clemson's going to have to make some mistakes. and But Ohio State's offense, they've got the, you know, the, the skill and the talent to do the same thing. So I, it's going to be a fun, fun game. And, um, you know, I think really this might be the most talented group dating back to that first playoff. That first playoff yeah. when we had Oregon and Florida State, which had the top two team or top two players in the draft that year with uh, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Mm-hmm. And then you had Ohio State, Alabama, who were just two teams loaded with NFL NFL guys, Ohio State, Zeke and you know Joey Bosa and uh, Alabama, of course, is always loaded. So it was just a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. And this year feels kind of similar with the amount of talent that's part of this 14 playoff. Yeah, I mean, I think. It kind of felt like we Alabama is a surprise every whenever Alabama is not in the playoff. And that's the <laughs> that kind of First catches time. you off guard. Yeah, yeah, right. So the yeah, so I mean that that's sort of the surprise there. But I think the other three, you know, LSU. Obviously, I don't know that we knew Joe Burrow. We've talked about. We didn't think Joe Burrow was going to be this good. But Ohio State was a team certainly that we expected to be there. Clemson, uh, everyone kind of figured would roll. 
I, I don't think it's necessarily a huge surprise that Oklahoma's in the playoff, given uh, what they had on offense with uh, Jalen Hurts there. And that kind of spin, <laughs> spins into uh, – I just want to spend a second on the Heisman finalists because mm-hmm. talked about that Ohio State uh, talent on offense – and uh, J.K. Dobbins got squeezed out there for Burrow, uh, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Chase Young. I'm sure in the voting, you know, the Ohio State guys kind of cannibalized themselves a little bit here. Um, there's only so many votes to go around for three guys on the same team. But, um, you know, as I've mentioned a few times on this program, I, J.K. Dobbins to me is just he was one of the he was clearly one of the best players in college football this year. I think there's a case that he was the best player on that Ohio State team um, at times this year. And that's taking nothing away from what Chase Young did when he was on the field or how Justin Fields played. I just think J.K. Dobbins was that good. And uh, one of those guys that felt like he probably should have been a Heisman finalist. Any other surprises in there for you? You think the top four was kind of as expected? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was a little surprised Dobbins uh, got squeezed out. Um, I think it's important to note that uh, for those that don't know, they determine who goes to New York based off the voting. Like they kind of they look at the rank, like how the voting finishes, and then they say, okay, well, where's a gap? And that's where they cut it off. And sometimes there's only three that go to New York. Sometimes there's five. This year there's four. So there must have been a little bit of a gap between that fourth guy and then the rest. And so that's how they determine who goes to New York. It's not some beauty pageant necessarily. Um, but I am surprised, I mean, maybe not surprised, but I thought there were three guys that really stood out to me who should have been, or I'm, I'm surprised they didn't get maybe some more consideration. Uh, three running backs, actually. Hubbard at Oklahoma State. I mean, he finished with the most rushing yards in college football. Um, Jonathan Taylor, uh, who, with the way he finished against Ohio State, um, you know, I, I, even though he didn't do a ton in the second half, they didn't get the win. He still did enough where uh, I thought, and, and it's kind of weird looking. He's had he has over six thousand yards in his career, and not once is he going to go to New York for the Heisman ceremony. Uh, it seemed a little seemed a little off. And then I'm with you on Dobbins. I, I mean, the guy has over twenty touchdowns. He has over eighteen hundred rushing yards. He averages I think six point five yards per carry. Um, he is such a special back with the way he's uh, able to see the field and uh, time his uh, attack through holes it's just it, it's really really uh, a skilled uh, skill a skilled talent that he has at the running back position so you know I, don't, I was a little surprised those three guys are gonna be sitting at home watching like the rest of us when I think either of those three could have been uh, in New York for a championship game but you know, we'll have to see. Uh, Dobbins seems like the type of guy that's going to be uh, like can he. Jonathan Taylor won running back of the of the conference. Um, so not only is J.K. Dobbins uh, not the best running back in his own conference according to the awards, <laughs> um, but he didn't get an invite to the to the Heisman. So you wonder. He seems like the type of guy where that's just going to motivate him uh, in, in the playoff and maybe see a little bit extra juice from him then. Yeah, and we've talked about this running back class, and uh, certainly J.K. Dobbins is a guy who could could join it and and push into that round one conversation at least. But Jonathan Taylor, I mean, again, that's not you know saying I uh, 
think J.K. Dobbins maybe should have been in the finalist. That's not to take anything away from Jonathan Taylor either, because mm-hmm. you know there's no denying how good he's been, as you said, just through throughout his career, just the volume of work that he's done at Wisconsin and had some incredible games this year and, uh, you know, really right down to the end was uh, was a very productive running back for them. And, you know, they're nowhere near where they've been the last couple of years without what Jonathan Taylor's done. So uh, always some conversation. Yeah. So Joe Burrow, uh, over under 91.6% of first place votes uh in the in the final in the final voting. I think we both agree he's going to win. He's a clear front runner. The record for first place votes is ninety one point six percent of the total votes. And that's Troy Smith back in two thousand six. Over or under that number for Joe Burrow this year? I think he's under it. But okay. I think it, I think those Ohio State guys steal a, a few of them. I don't know that Jalen Hurts gets all that many, but maybe sneaks one or two in from folks uh, voting from that area of the country. I, I just think that you look at what Fields has done and what Young has done on those on an undefeated team that's you know as we just were talking about is number two in the playoffs. I think uh, they're going to get their due because as for as well as Joe Burrow has played, as we've been talking about with relation to the draft process, Chase Young is. Yeah, uh, probably the best player in the country. So yeah. I think that shows up to some extent in the voting. I don't. If if there was only one Ohio State guy, I think the I think there might be a more interesting race to the end. Again, I think like even if people are not voting Burrow one, it's going to be hard for Fields or Young to get enough of uh, enough of that grasp to really make any headway on the competition. I think it probably is going to be Joe Burrow by a, a pretty comfortable margin. But yeah. uh, I don't. I think only- I take under. Not only Justin Fields, uh, you know, the, the production that he's had, passing yards and touchdowns, he only has one interception. That's hard to do, you know, to go through an entire season and throw 40 touchdowns, but only one pick. Uh, Max Olsen uh, with The Athletic, he uh, had a pretty good stat that guys with the 40, because uh, Justin Fields has 40 uh, passing touchdowns, 10 rushing touchdowns, guys in that 40-10 club this decade, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota. So you're talking about, you know, three pretty impressive college quarterbacks who were all high draft picks. And, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is obviously a star. Kyler Murray looks like he's on his way. Mariota hasn't quite worked out, but uh, Justin Fields, part of that group. Um, I did want to kind of mention Joe Burrow. Um, I know we talk about him every episode and, you know, maybe too much at times, but uh what he did against Georgia is just his business as usual. I mean, it's just remarkable that this guy did not have one really not even like a game. I mean, he he didn't have a bad game, but he didn't really have a bad uh quarter his entire season. It's just really remarkable to have that type of consistency at a, such a high level. Um and he did it against another Georgia defense and I I really appreciate how when the conference championship uh, works out the way it does, where we see two teams that didn't match up during the regular season. Um, and that's something that we saw with uh, Georgia and LSU. And it was another chance to see Joe Burrow and LSU versus a, a very good defense. Uh, and it really didn't phase Burrow. Uh, he was he was outstanding as usual. The poise, the presence, the ball placement. Um, and that the one touchdown he had where he literally had almost nine seconds to throw the football. Yeah. <laughs> his his poise on that. And, and look, I, I, I can hear already people screaming at their uh, speaker saying he had nine seconds. Anybody could have done that. I don't think you understand. Like, 
when, after like two and a half, three seconds, you're thinking like, okay, where's that rush? It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, there, there's no way it's going to last. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. There's no way it's going to last four seconds or five seconds to have that poise and presence to understand that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, just, I'm just sit back here, be comfortable and I'm going to wait for someone to come open. I mean, that, that is some, it's, it, it's, I know he had nine seconds. I get it. But it's still, it does show something. There is value in that play that you can take something away from it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, as we said, he hasn't really had that moment where he's come back to the pack. That's kind of what he almost were waiting for all year. And um, I don't know that even if it happens in the playoff at this point, it would do that much damage to him. I think he's just been so good for, for so long this year. And I, to be fair, as you said, you know, there's a lot of talent around him. That wide receiving core is... I mean, that's an NFL wide receiving core, basically, that yeah. he's working with there. And and another guy we haven't talked, we talked a little bit about, but uh, we've we've been mentioning these underclassmen draft decisions. What about Edwards Hilaire? You got any yeah. feel for, is he going to be part of this class? I think so. Uh, I mean, it, I don't, it, you know, whether or not to declare is obviously such a personal decision. Some guys just really like college and, you know, that's great for them if they want to go back. But I would be surprised if Hilaire... Um, it does go back. Uh, I think that he has been kind of overlooked a little bit. And, you know, Joe Burrow is the lead singer, but uh, Edwards Hilaire is such a big part of, of what they do on that out- offense. Uh, he leads the SEC in rushing touchdowns, 16. He's averaging 6.5 yards per carry. And he has 50 catches this year. I mean, it, Chris Olave, Jalen Rager, Hen- Henry Ruggs, a lot of talented receivers across the country do not have 50 catches this year. Those three guys that I just mentioned, but this running back from LSU does uh, reminds me again, a little bit of a smaller version of like a Mark Ingram. Um, it's just the balance. Uh, he's able to break tackles. Uh, there's just so much to like about him uh, moving forward. And he might be that guy in this running back class. Um, you know, it's just, there's a lot of names, especially if, you know, I think we all expect uh, DeAndre Swift and Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor and Etienne. I, I think we all expect those guys to declare. And I think all four are going to be somewhere in that top 50 mix. Um, but and then after that, I mean, Hubbard uh, is right there from Oklahoma State. You know, Cam Akers, Edwards Hilaire, Najee Harris. Uh, there's a pretty talented running backs in this group that have a chance to make uh, a, a pretty quick uh, impact at the next level if they go to the right spot. Yeah, I don't want to get uh, – I try not to get too caught up on, like, exact height, weight uh, when trying to think about player comps, but that's mm-hmm. a good one for Edward Tolaire. And, like, Maurice Jones-Drew is the other one that kind of mm-hmm. popped to mind. Like, he just has that contact balance, and, like, you know he's going to finish those runs even though he's – whatever he is. I, I think he's listed yeah. at, like, 5'8", 215 or something. I don't know that he's actually – five eight right. but um you know you just know you're gonna get it's still a physical style of football i mean he's not one of those guys that's gonna like just duck out of bounds when there's contact coming you can see him uh fighting through some of those hits and so he's a he's a fun running back you could see him having success for sure at the next level uh where would Derek stingley be ranked for you if he was <laughs> eligible for this draft i i know i i got a lot of pushback on twitter on saturday when i tweeted out that you know 99 higher than 99 99.9 percent of college freshmen you know are not ready for the nfl um but stingley is a one percenter he he could start in the nfl right now and i get it he struggled against alabama against some pretty good wide receivers but think about this anyone that doubts that 
look around the NFL right now and say there are 75 starting corners in the NFL right now. A lot of teams running, you know, nickel as their base, their starters. So say just 75 starting corners. You really going to tell me there are 75 corners in the NFL better than Derek Stingley? No, of course not. Now, I mean, does Stingley need to get better? Yeah, he's a freshman. Is it more experience uh, based issues than anything else? But all the talents there, the ball skills that he shows, uh, it's just remarkable. Uh, he is a seasoned player, which is pretty impressive considering his age. Uh, and now that we have a full season of experience uh, watching him, yeah, I have, I have no doubt he is a one percenter and can step in the NFL. And I'm not, I'm not for the uh, people, you know, clamoring for the rule change about players being three years removed. Uh, from high school before they can enter the pro. I think it's a good rule because 99%, maybe not 99, but say at least 90% of players it protects. Um, If there wasn't that rule, you mean freshmen would say, well, I had a pretty good freshman year. I'm going to go pro. Like it just, it would be a mess and it just wouldn't work out. And a lot of the times being able to stay for three years helps these guys more so than hurts them. So now, but I do acknowledge that there is, say, somewhere between 5 and 10% who are ready to go after their first or their second year. And, you know, I think Stingley's one of them. So how do you determine who is able to go? Or, you know, I don't know if we'll ever see a rule change there because I think it'd be hard to, to determine that and who does that and how. But I do think that... uh you know, I, I do like the rule because I think, again, it protects 90% of players because it's the NFL is not a developmental league. And, um, you know, it's it's a, it's, it's a, probably a conversation for a different time. We have more time to really dive into it. But Stingley is part of the the few, the, the 1% that could leave right now and, and step into an NFL starting lineup. On the guy on the other side of the field, Christian Fulton uh, is someone who will be probably will be in the draft this year. And we talked about sort of struggling – uh, a little bit earlier in the year, I think he's closed stronger than he started this season. I think he played pretty well this week, and that you know that's a potential first round pick uh, out of that LSU secondary too. Um, I mean, I guess we should spend a second here. I don't want to spend the whole episode on LSU Georgia, but uh, Jake Fromm. You know, we keep talking about these decisions people have to make uh, coming up here. Does that game against LSU? influence him one way or the other i mean he it certainly wasn't a a great afternoon for him but uh, you know a lot of injuries on that georgia team that they had to deal with obviously the uh elite set of corners on the other side um but uh, a tough day for Fromm, and you know it's been kind of a choppy season so where's he stand you think at this point yeah and i think it has to alarm you somewhat that you know he loses several of his uh, wide receivers, you know, with McCall Hardman and uh, Ridley and, uh, you know, a few other guys, he loses them from last year and he just, he does not look like the same guy. And so that has to be uh, a little bit of a red flag. Um, So I, I think that it would make sense for him to go back to school and, you know, develop some more of this chemistry with some of these younger receivers and, you know, have this, senior season where maybe, you know, he's, I don't think he's going to have a Joe Burrow type senior season by any means, but at least he can uh, show better consistency. You know, he's not going to get taller. His arms probably not going to get stronger. Um, You know, there's a lot of the physical traits that makes him more of a, or, you know, that is why he's not in the conversation to be a top 10 pick. 
they're not going to get necessarily better. But in terms of consistency, in terms of uh, just showing that he can, it doesn't matter the talent around him, he can still be a productive player. Um, that is something that, uh, you know, I think was going to weigh in his mind. Something else that's going to weigh in his mind is he's going to lose. I mean, yes, he's going to lose DeAndre Swift, but they, they're stocked with running backs. Not too worried about that. Uh, but he will use, lose probably his top receiver and cager. He's going to lose probably his left tackle, Andrew Thomas, and he might lose his right tackle. Um, it's going to be tough because, you know, I, I don't, when you look at that offense and, you know, it's, it, it really uh, so much depends on the offensive line doing their job and giving from time back there because he's not the most mobile. He doesn't have necessarily the, uh, the the elite arm talent where he's going to be able to speed things up and get the ball out quickly. Uh, he needs time in the pocket. And so he needs that offensive line to do their jobs. And if uh, both of his tackles, because both tackles could end up being first round picks. You know, we know about uh, Andrew Thomas. Uh, I mean, most uh, believe he's going to be in the top 10, 15 conversation, um, even if he's not the top ta- tackle drafted. Uh, but Isaiah Wilson at the, on the right side, uh, he also has a chance to be a first-round pick. Uh, he is that good of a player. Now, only a Richard sophomore. I think he would benefit greatly by going back to school. Uh, could be a top 10 pick next year. But uh, he, he'll have a decision to make. And so that's something that could affect Fromm as well. Well, uh, obviously some other good games uh, this weekend, the Oklahoma-Baylor game, uh, a classic, and then Cincinnati-Memphis. Hopefully people got over to that one and and didn't get too hung Mm -hmm. up on Georgia-LSU because it was a better game, a more competitive game, went right down to the wire. Uh, Antonio Gibson, another really impressive performance for him for Memphis. Uh, He had that huge game against SMU earlier in the year, kind of an intriguing a uh, guy that they use in a lot of different ways on that Memphis offense. Um, you know, Clemson obviously rolled Trevor, Trevor Lawrence averaged like 19 yards per completion. And then uh, they brought in their backup. Um, hmm. who, who, uh, what's his name? Chase Bryce. And he averaged mm-hmm. 20 yards per completion. So, um, you know, Clemson just sort of lit it up against Virginia. Uh, what else jumped out for you this weekend? Well, and I'd go back to Friday night um, and, yeah. and Oregon and Utah, and that was Utah just it picked the the wrong night to play their worst game of the year. Um, you know, I think I was definitely on the team Utah um, in terms of who I thought should be that fourth uh, fourth seed um, because of you know, just watching Utah this year and how dominant that defense has been, and Tyler Huntley making plays at the warrior toughness that he brings to the field. Zach Moss, one of the better running backs in the nation. Um, so I, I gave the edge to uh, to to Utah, but they did not play well, uh, plain and simple. And credit to Oregon, who uh, if they did not stub their toe against Arizona State, I, they'd probably be that fourth seed yeah. ahead of Oklahoma. Yep. So you know, it's but credit to them for uh, you know coming back, winning the Pac-12. Um, Justin Herbert. Didn't have a, a great game, um, but he had he had a solid game. Um, you know, it was more about the run game and what they were able to do. Um, Herbert made some timely throws, and that just credit to the Oregon uh, both sides of the ball as well. The defense uh, they played well. Um, it, it's uh, it was definitely uh, kind of uh, unfortunate for Utah because I thought they're a better team than that, and we didn't we didn't necessarily see it. Um, meanwhile, Oregon credits them because they stepped up and. Played one of their best games of the year, so uh, that that turned out to be a little bit different of an outcome than I think most of us thought. But um, credit to them, and then 
Uh, you know, Saturday was fun. Uh, Baylor down to the third string quarterback um, still took it to overtime. I, I mean, just, you know, kind of crazy how that whole game played out. I mean, Matt Rule, uh, he, he can pretty much uh, it, it's going to be interesting when some NFL jobs come open. Um, I, I think everybody in Waco were kind of at the edge of their seats, kind of crossing their fingers, hoping that Matt Rule stays for a couple more years before he. Um, ultimately decides to move on uh, because he's got that program headed in absolutely the right direction. But he's going to be um, a pretty popular coaching candidate, uh, not just college, but NFL teams as well. So that's definitely going to be an interesting storyline as we go through the next few weeks. Yeah, just back to that Oregon, uh, Oregon Utah game for a second because uh, uh, first off, uh, a guy that you mentioned way back in August, early September, uh, Troy Dye had one of the biggest hits you're going to see a quarterback take. Just clobbered uh, Tyler Huntley on a throw, but uh, CJ Verdell. Uh, I mean, not to put every single running back in the country in this draft class, but uh, this is what he's been able to do when he's been healthy he has had a hard time staying healthy but he's got some of that breakaway speed he's a guy that can go between the tackles had a huge game on friday night uh 200 yards and uh i mean we've seen him have these big games throughout his career again it's kind of just been uh the health really holding him back i mean they have a they haven't given him quite as many goal line carries over the course of his career they've got a guy that they they slide in there on the goal line at times but He's another interesting prospect that maybe jumps into this class, right? I think so, yeah. And uh, the production's been outstanding when he's been on the field. Um, he just has really quick feet. He, he darts between open spaces really well. Um, I think he runs with decisiveness. Um, he runs with urgency. Uh, and then he has that contact balance. Runs low to the ground, can keep his feet through tackle attempts, create after contact. Um, and he's not powerful, but I think he's a lot tougher than he looks. And that certainly shows. Uh, now, I, I one thing I think maybe a little disappointed um, in when just when I went deeper into his evaluation, um, he, he's barely a speed bump in pass pro, uh, really struggles in that area right now and had more drops than you want to see as a receiver out of the backfield. So uh, between that and the durability, uh, you know, that's something that will be working against him. But um, there's no question he's a productive player when the ball's in his hands. And on that Oklahoma game, uh, you know, one of the guys that has stood out for them a lot this year and, and had another big game, got banged up for a little bit in there, uh, Kenneth Murray. Um, yeah. Is he a – I mean, he, he feels like he's probably a day two guy at worst. I don't know that he gets into round one, but do you do you think that that's a fair ceiling for him at this point? Yeah, I, no, I think that's that's a good way to put it. Um, I think he was like 48, 49 or something in my last top 100 um, draft board. And I think that's – maybe he moves up a little bit. Um, I, but, yeah, I, I don't think he's a first-round uh, lock by any means. Um, I, I think he's uh, – yeah, I think he need, there's definitely a few things he needs to work on. His, his take on skills are still maturing. Um, you know, he will struggle to, to disengage from climbing linemen. Um, and then his strike zone as a tackler. I mean, he is a, an explosive player, but way too many times he's hitting high. He's, uh, you know, more of a, uh, you know, grabbing and hugging instead of striking through, you know, lowering his strike zone and striking through uh, his target. And so that's something that, you know, he needs to work on. 
but that's all fixable. Give me the guy with that play speed, with that competitive nature, with that nonstop motor. Um, He can blitz. um, You know, he can he can uh, drop a little bit. Um, He's not the most proven coverage linebacker, but give me a guy with that type of athletic traits, the closing burst and just that mentality that he has. And, you know, I'll, I'll, as a coach, I would try to fix the rest. So, yeah, Murray's going to be – and this is a linebacker class that's tough to really get excited about. Um, you know, Isaiah Simmons, we'll see with Dylan Moses uh, with his injury situation. Um, but then, you know, Ken, uh, Kenneth Murray's right after that. Um, you know, he, he's fighting to be a top three linebacker off the board, and I think he certainly has a talent to be that. Uh, anyone else you want to – hit on out of Friday and Saturday's action. And there's a few games we haven't gotten to. I don't know how much time you spent watching like the, uh, the Mac or the Sun Belt or any of those games, but if uh guess before we move on, it may as well make sure we've covered everyone. Yeah. I watched a little bit of uh, the, the Sun Belt uh, championship game because uh, they've got some pros, future pros in that yeah. one with uh, Davis Gaither, the linebacker for App State. And um, they've got a few skill guys who might have a, a decision to make who wouldn't be surprised if maybe a few of those guys, uh, on offense, uh, decided to make the jump early. Um, Robert Hunt, the right tackle for Lafayette, didn't play. Uh, he was banged up. But, yeah, that, w- that was definitely a good one. Um, and kind of my focus, uh, interesting right now, is kind of moving towards underclassmen. You know, it's, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of guys start to make their decisions between now and Christmas. You know, they're getting ready for bowl prep. They're spending time with their families, meeting with agents. Things like that. Um, and right around now is when they're starting to get that feedback uh, from the NFL. T- each team can submit up to five names to the advisory committee uh, to give them either a first round grade, a second round grade, or a go back to school grade. And, you know, it's a conservative grade, uh, but that's something that will help these players make their decisions. Uh, a lot of players don't even put their name in or they don't wait for the feedback. They just they throw their name in. And so far, uh, according to my tracker, I've got 16 guys um, up to this point uh, right now. But I, I expect that to change almost daily between now and the deadline, which is January 17th. I've seen a few other dates out there. Uh, the deadline is January 17th. Uh, that's a Friday. And then uh, technically, anybody who declares, because uh, again, the 17th is the deadline, they then have 72 hours to back out change your minds and then the official list is sent to each of the nfl clubs on uh, the next tuesday the 21st so um the next month we're gonna hear a lot of names probably hit triple digits again um and uh, so far like i said we're up up to 16 the one of the more recent ones one of the more intriguing guys is lynn bowden from kentucky yeah for sure I, you know, I know Kentucky wasn't necessarily maybe the feel-good story uh, that they were last year uh, with all the noise they made in the SEC, but they were a lot of fun to watch down the stretch, uh, especially down the stretch in the second half when you know the quarterback goes down, Lynn Bowden, who is he's from Warren, Ohio, where uh, where I grew up and um, where I where I live now. And he at Warren G. Harding, he was a one of the more dynamic players that's ever come from this area and goes to Kentucky um, and he played quarterback in high school, goes to Kentucky where uh, I think he signed as a quarterback. But I think most people thought, okay, he's eventually going to move to uh, a skill position, running back or receiver or something. And he did. He played more wide receiver. But then he uh, this year, when the quarterback went down, he took over as the quarterback the second half of the year. 
And whole, uh, defense has had no answer for him. I mean, he was just a dynamic player all the, the second half at quarterback. Didn't have a ton of pass attempts, but uh, so everybody knew he was running the ball, and yet you know they they couldn't stop it. Um, he, he reminds me a little bit of like a Braxton Miller, where um, you know he's going to be. You know, he's a former quarterback, but obviously he's better just with the ball in his hands in terms of uh, using that athletic traits, uh, the dynamic skills. Uh, now the question is, can he convert? to a more full-time wide receiver. Um, it's something where it's not just an easy transition. And, you know, a lot of people thought Braxton Miller could do it. Uh, he was a day two pick and uh, was never able to do that for the Texans. Injuries were a part of that. He's bounced around the league and just has not been able to stick anywhere, even though he does have that athletic, uh, the, the, just the athleticism that makes you want to get him the football. So uh, can Lynn Bowden uh, be able to do that? That'll be something interesting to watch him. I'm, I'm eager to see him during during drills. I think if we were up to scouts, he would have stayed at receiver the whole year and developed at that position. But because he moved back to quarterback this year, um, you know, that, that's time away from the receiver position. He wasn't able to develop. And I don't blame Kentucky at all. They, they did what was best for the team. And you know, I, I not putting any criticism on Kentucky, but it does make it a little tougher for his projection when you're talking about him moving to uh, back to wide receiver at the next level. And, you know, how does that affect his draft grade, especially in this draft class, which we as we've said before, is just a loaded group of wide receiver. Yeah, some of the, the box scores after he took over at quarterback are crazy. I mean, it's like <laughs> an army game. It's like 60 years right. ago football, like the game against Louisville, they played to end the year. He rushed for uh, 284 yards. Kentucky had like 515, 520 yards rushing as a team, and he threw he had one completion for four yards in that <laughs> game. Like it's just insane to think that you and you know it's coming. Yeah, this is crazy. Thing. You know it's coming, and they, no one could stop them. It's nuts. Uh, a couple more names that jumped out for me is, and we've hit on a few of these, but uh, a few of these guys that have gone or have entered their name into the draft. But a couple of the recent ones that jumped out. Uh, Anthony McFarland is a guy who I brought up before, someone I really liked watching in college. Kind of, you know, he's a, he's a different uh, build, certainly, than, than you know, Lynn Bowden. But, you know, he's another mm-hmm. guy that you're going to have to be a little creative with, I think, at the next level. You know, 5'8", just sort of a he, – he was another of those guys that just kind of did whatever Maryland needed. You know, if you needed to hand him off to him, fine. If you wanted to throw it to him in space, you know, return kicks, whatever. Uh, you mentioned a Devontae Freeman uh, sort of sort of a comp throughout there on your tracker. I mean, I think he's that he, – he's a really interesting guy when you get him the ball and he doesn't have a lot of space because he finds ways to create it. And it wasn't always uh, – he played on some Maryland teams that didn't necessarily block things up all that well for him all the time. Right, uh, playing some playing up in competition a lot and always managed to make plays for them. So that's one curious to see how teams uh, feel about him. And then at cornerback, uh, really both cornerbacks that you have on the tracker so far: C.J. Henderson from Florida, Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State. I'm sure are going to have fans at the next level. But Henderson's the one for me that I I kind of again we talk about ceilings if he test well i mean he feels like a guy that could go off the board pretty early just because as you mentioned what he can do impress man coverage he's one of those guys that'll get up in receivers faces and really make things difficult for them on the outside so if he has a good week in indianapolis at the combine uh i mean i feel like he's a guy we're gonna be talking about pretty early 
Yeah, and I think he will have a good week uh, at the Combine. Um, I expect him to test very well. Um, I think he is he's one of the best press man corners in this draft, plain and simple. Um, 6'1", almost 200 pounds, uh, and he's a legit big-time athlete. So I, I think that there, when you look at just the raw traits, he has a chance. It wouldn't shock me at all if he went top 15 because of those traits. But I just there's things missing from his evaluation. He's not a very good tackler. Um, and then you just want to see him make plays on the football. I mean, he's very good for, uh, you know, 75%, 85% of the play, but he just needs to finish with that final 15 or 25% um, in terms of finding the football, uh, winning body position, putting himself in position to make plays on the football. Uh, it just doesn't do it consistently enough. And that can be the difference between a completion and incompletion or even an interception. So it's something that in the NFL, those things matter big time. And it's going to be a a crowded cornerback group at the top with uh, Trevon Diggs, who's kind of kind of say the same type of similar things about Trevon Diggs uh, being just a freak athlete for that size. Um, and also, you know, impressed man, but also has some questions uh, just as a finisher and finding the football down the field. Um, Christian Fulton, Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade, uh, some other corners in this mix. So it's going to be a crowded group. And uh, Henderson certainly uh, belongs in that mix. Uh, one one guy I wanted to mention, Hunter Bryant, the Washington tight end. Um, obviously, with uh, Chris Peterson stepping down, um, you know, I think we're going to hear from some other Washington um, players who might make the same decision. We'll have to see. But um, Hunter Bryant not going to play in the bowl game, so we've seen the last of him at the college level. It's just it's not a great tight end class, and he has a chance to be tight end one, um, depending on who else declares. Um, and if he does, it's just important to note that he's just different. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna help you out as a blocker. That's just not who he is. He's more of a slot receiver, uh, but he's an athletic mismatch guy. Who, uh, if you match him up against uh, you know a safety uh, in the slot, uh, he's he can make it pay. So. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick. Um, he might be able to get in the top 50. We'll see. Uh, I, I think he's a super athletic guy. Uh, but, uh, again, just because he doesn't offer much of a blocking element, that's something that is going to be way differently from NFL to team to team, just how they the, – you know the construction of their offense and whether or not that fits what they do. You mentioned he's uh, – Bryant's probably is not playing in the bowl game. C.J. Henderson, I believe, said he's not playing nope. in uh, Florida's bowl game. Uh, Josh Uche, who's one of the other underclassmen, said he will play uh, Michigan Drew, Alabama. So pray pray for me. Um, but <laughs> Herbert, uh, <laughs> Herbert Saban, that'd be fun. Uh, uh, yeah, Har- Harbaugh could use a big one. Um, how about uh, just any other those bowl games? Uh, we'll get into the bowl games a lot more here in the next – you know, a week and a half, but uh, just first impressions. Any of uh, we talked about the playoff matchups. Um, you got Oregon, Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, Baylor, Georgia. Anything else that maybe even further down the radar that that jumps out for you in the bowl matchups? Uh, Stu Mandel uh, on our site, by the way, has has the games ranked from uh, one through thirty nine in terms of uh, in terms of intrigue. So make sure you check that out again. theathletic.com slash prospects to pros if you need the forty percent off uh, discount to get. Access to Stewart's uh, post or Dwayne, Dwayne Dane's draft tracker. Uh, got my words all jumbled there, but uh, <laughs> you can get all that uh, content for sure. So, um, yeah, but first impressions of the bowl slate. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do think there are some interesting, uh, maybe lower level uh, bowls that don't won't get talked a lot about. Uh, just you know, for prospects, 
uh, USC and Iowa. I think it's fun just to see two. I don't know. I don't know if Iowa is necessarily a traditional team, but just two traditional teams going at each other that we don't see a lot. Um, Iowa, and this is also a game if you need tackle help. Austin Jackson, left tackle for USC, and then Iowa, their right tackle, Tristan Wirfs. Um, you know, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, I, the Once we get towards the New Year's Eve, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, looking at the slate, I, <laughs> I, there are a few games that, you know, I, I know I really am excited. For, you know, Utah, Texas, I think could be uh, yeah. some fun with that offense versus that defense, you know, Devin Duvernay and, Colin Johnson going up against Jalen Johnson and um, Trail Burgess in that secondary. Um, Cosme, the left tackle, who will have an NFL decision to make going up against Bradley and I. Um, that, that could be um, an interesting matchup for both sides. Uh, Minnesota-Auburn. Uh, Auburn obviously flying high after that win against Alabama. Minnesota, kind of the opposite. They had a chance to go to the Big Ten Championship game, but they lost their final game against Wisconsin. So, how do you know? How do those two teams look um, against each other in the Outback Bowl? Um, there are a lot of lot of interesting games, so I am eager. Bowl season, I, I think I'm like I did last year. Got a pretty good uh, feedback from from readers. Do uh, kind of write up on every single bowl game uh, just to give a little preview of the main prospects to watch, and um, you know, just give everybody a, a little uh, idea of what scouts be watching in those games. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you mentioned, we talked about Kentucky. They got Virginia Tech uh, in the Belk Bowl. Is mm-hmm. it the last Belk Bowl? I feel like that's not the sponsor anymore after this year. But um, that's a New Year's uh, Eve game. And uh, Bud Foster, Virginia Tech's longtime defensive coordinator, it's his last game there. Uh, so good gets good luck with uh, with that Kentucky offense, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we'll see what they do draw up there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, some uh, Notre Dame-Iowa State, I think, could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, there's always a couple of these games, too, that because of how they've realigned the conferences, like I have to take a second and remind myself that these teams aren't in the same conference anymore. Like Oklahoma State, Texas A&M are playing. Oh, yeah. uh, Hawaii, BYU are playing. <laughs> like this, there's always a couple of these games now where uh, I feel like they're rivals and they're not really rivals anymore because they never get to play. So those are... Those are always kind of interesting to sort of reunite those teams that used to play against each other all the time and uh, get another shot here. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, we'll get into a lot of the bowl games. The first one, first couple coming up on the 20th. So, um, you know, we'll spend some time next week, I'm sure, uh, breaking down some of those early matchups. And uh, this week, a little quieter, just Army-Navy, like I said. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you an F- FCS playoffs guy? Spend any time there? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, I unfortunately I won't be a Division three playoffs guy this this time around with Mount Union getting knocked out uh, <laughs> in a when in the semis uh, first time since 1994. So uh, that, yeah, that was a little ridiculous. bit of a little bit of a surprise there. So I, you know, the Division three playoffs won't be as fun for me this year. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely keep an eye on the FCS. And I actually have my top ten uh, position rankings coming out tomorrow, Wednesday, um, and so. I'm sure, you know, look for that on The Athletic. I'm sure we'll be talking about that on, on Thursday on our second uh, episode of the week. And so there's some, maybe a few surprises in there compared to what, you know, that a lot of people think. Uh, so eager to dive into that on Thursday. There you go. It's a pretty good teaser for our next episode. And uh, again, yeah. you, get, you can get access to that episode by subscribing to The Athletic. 
uh, athletic.com slash prospects to pros for 40% off. They'll be your last reminder uh, for the week, but that get, does get you that second uh, ad-free episode through the athletic app. You can uh, get all the, all of our podcasts across our entire network. There's a ton of them, every sport, uh, make sure you get in there and sort of check out, find your favorites. Um, it's, it's hard to even, you know, it's hard to even find enough time, frankly, because there are so many good ones. I try to listen to the Detroit ones that we put out, uh, over here on my site, but also obviously there's a lot of, of national coverage too. So, uh, make sure you get to theathletic.com, get that subscription, check us out later in the week for our subscriber only episode. Uh, and uh, lots to talk about then. We'll get into uh, Dane's next post, as he mentioned. Maybe look ahead to some of these NFL games this weekend, too, as uh, a lot of these rookies and, and second-year guys kind of wind down uh, their schedules. Maybe take another look at how they're, they've been performing this season. So uh, that'll wrap us up for this one. Uh, for Kent Garrison and Dane Brugler, I'm Chris Burke. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you later this week. <laughs>